chapter 4, verse 1, and then verses 4 through 7. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't it wonderful to think about that idea that life at some point might give us the opportunity to not be anxious about anything? Uh, We talked a few weeks ago about uh, Paul's word about the glorious body that is going to come together when Christ comes back and he raises us all anew and brings in that new creation to, to its full extent. We talked about the fact that things are going to be so radically different. Nothing really is going to be the same. I think part of that will be the fact that in all of life, in everything that we're doing, nothing is going to cause us to be anxious. And I think probably what Paul is saying is that we need to reach for the things that are going to be part of that new creation, even in the times in in life on this earth, When anxieties and fears, and let's just get right down to it, the darkness that Satan tries to put everywhere comes and invades our lives, as it has to a certain extent through this process. Now, so many times when we hear the words of the Bible, what we, what we think we're hearing is somebody sitting in some sort of ivory palace, somebody sitting in some place where everything is good and nothing there can, can in any way threaten one's well-being. But in reality, that's not what Paul is doing, is it? Instead, what we know as we read the book of Philippians, that Paul is writing this from a state of imprisonment. Whether or not that's behind bars or in some sort of dungeon, which we actually know that Paul experienced at various times, or whether this is a time where he is is maybe under house arrest of some sort, he is in chains, Let's uh, just kind of real quickly take a look at those at a couple of passages from the first chapter in Philippians. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. This verse is really powerful because what he's already said in, in chapter 1 is that Because of his chains, because he's imprisoned here, everybody that's around him, all the prison guards, have come to know the good news. Didn't say necessarily that they've all responded to the good news, but they have all heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so it isn't that there are times when I I get to do whatever I want and I'm out defending the gospel, and then there are these other times when I'm in jail or in prison and, and I've got nothing else to do. Instead, Paul says, you know what, part of my defeating the anxiety, that the fears and the discouragement in my life is that I continue to do the most important things to me no matter what condition I'm in. 
He's in chains. And not only is in chains, when we skip down to verse 20, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. And now get the next statement. Whether in life or by death. You might say, oh, yes, Paul may be in prison, but he always is getting out, and he always has that ace card to play that he's a Roman citizen and nobody can really do anything that, that, that out of his control. Paul is not only in prison, but the, the place that Paul is in prison and what's going on as Paul's in prison at this time is that he is facing the possibility of a death sentence. If things, in fact, what he proposes is that if things continue the way they've continued, the end for me is not a question mark, it is a death sentence. Now, he sees God as being able to act beyond that, and he'll even say he thinks that he still has more to do and so that God will bring him through this. But he doesn't say don't be anxious without the circumstances he is under leading to a great deal of fear, a great deal of intrepidation, a great deal of anxiety. Paul has this opportunity to say to all of us, even 2,000 years ago, whatever your circumstances, don't be anxious about anything. Did you hear verse 1 in chapter 4? It said, rejoice in the Lord, and that word always. And Again, that's not just a lyric for a song. That is the reality of Paul's awareness that he wants to say to us that there's no place where you can't find the joy of the Lord. There's no place where what God is doing in your life can't be greater than what the fears and the anxiety and the darkness want to bring to you. So it isn't some frilly sort of idea of don't be anxious. Instead, it is a very hard reality that Paul is speaking into. My son Drew um, was not typically an overly fearful child. He had certain things, though, that kind of got him. He, he was... I, my first child would love to come, when I came in from, from work and would, would come into the house, she would bound off onto the couch and onto the arm in the back of the couch and leap at me, not necessarily with me being prepared, and come jumping, and you better be ready to catch, Daddy, catch. Drew was never going to do that. That was not going to be his style. This came home particularly for us in, in an experience where we took the family on a ski trip. It was the first time Drew had ever been skiing. And we, we, we put Drew in lessons, and he did fine. And, and unfortunately, he had some cousins with him who, who just went off, and, and they'd, they'd just point their skis down the hill, and it didn't matter how fast they were going, they were gone. Drew was not that way. We would ski with Drew, and Drew would be fine, and he'd come up to a hill, and, and, and it would be this, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. And, and then it was, and so I would, um, and if you've skied at all, you, you know what a, a, a snow plow or a pizza is. I would do a big pizza in front of him, and he would slide his skis in between mine. I would be behind him, and he'd be there between me, and we would ski. The, and, and in reality, what would happen is it would come to a steeper part, and he would want that done. And so where, where we were skiing was Crested Butte, Colorado. And, and if you've ever been there, you know that the, all the runs kind of come together in this one enormous bowl. And 
when you first get into the bowl, it can ke- seem kind of steep. And so uh, he was like, I can't, I can't, no, no, no. And so the first couple of times we came to that part, again, I'd do my snow plow, and he'd get inside of that, and we'd ski, and I'd say, see, look, you are in control of the hill. The hill is not in control of you. Reality drews fears, and, and by the way, a lot of our fears are based on that idea that we can't control the end. We need to balance our reading about what's going on with COVID-19 with things that, that fill us up with, with God's assurances. We need to fill it up with things that are about relationships with people, even though we have this physical distancing. Where there's no reason for us to be really isolated or separated from people, at least not electronically. But it just seems that as you read, what you hear over and over again is that we don't have a handle on this. We can't control it. And it may be that it was easy kind of the first week to say, ah, well, it'll be nice to be able to be at home for a little while. Ah, wonderful, it'll be nice to have the kids home for a little while. I have a feeling that one kind of went by the wayside pretty fast. <laughs> but for many of us, it's, it's caused us to adjust to some, and what people are talking about is new normals. Again, the idea that you would be watching this online is a new and different normal. And it continues to pose challenges to us. We are, however, a people that don't have to see things in the perspective of the circumstances around us. The darkness, the sin, the death, the disease. All of those circumstances don't have to be bigger than the God that is within us. They are not stronger. They are not greater than he is. And so when, God, when Paul says don't be anxious about anything, he's not just saying don't be anxious about my chains because I'm, I'm ready to die is what he says. He doesn't say just don't be anxious about the spreading of the gospel because whether I'm doing it out there or I'm doing it in here, it's being spread. And in fact, he even talks about people that are spreading the others who are spreading the gospel. He doesn't say, I know that we have everything under control, so don't be anxious. He says, don't be anxious about anything because we know the one who controls the ultimate end. We, most of us, are simply inconvenienced by this. We can't see the end of the inconveniencing. We may get worried because we're not sure exactly how long our toilet paper stash will last, or we're not sure exactly how long our Purell, our hand sanitizer stash, will last. But in reality, most of that is inconveniences, especially here, in, at least in this part of the state, um, we can go to the grocery store, and they may not have everything you need, but they have enough. There are, make no mistakes, there are parts of the world where uh, the shutdown of coronavirus has caused real significant kinds of inconveniences and the inability to find things. But in addition to those of us who are inconvenienced, there are also people who've lost their jobs. And they can say, wait a minute, I know God says I can be anxious about this, and yet... 
what when we read the New Testament, we realize is that so many people that responded to the gospel, their worlds got turned upside down. Their way of thinking about family support got turned upside down. And yet the message didn't change. Don't be anxious about anything. And finally, uh, you probably know people who've caught the virus. You may have had some sort of message from someone somewhere in the country that says this, this connection, maybe three or four ripples away, has it and maybe has even passed away. Cindy Yates told us about her sister, Beth Ann, uh, I believe in Indianapolis, who has uh, contracted it, seems to be doing well, is being under a doctor's care. But see, in addition to an inconvenience and maybe a monetary challenge, there are also folks that really are facing great sickness and possibly even death. And Paul's message doesn't change. Don't be anxious in anything. I don't know about you, but that's much harder done than said. Let me point you in some directions real quickly that I hope can help you empty anxiety's power in your life. The idea is that we want to be a people who, it's not that circumstances aren't going to come that are going to be threatening. It's not that things are going to happen to us that our challenge is really beyond our control. But how do we empty anxiety's power? How do we empty fear's power? How do we empty the power of darkness? I have three quick suggestions. First of all, and we sang about it and I started the service with this, but we must recognize the greater and the stronger nature of God. In the Old Testament, it's full of, of language that talks about the way God defeats the other gods. God is greater than the other gods. And, and we don't see the world that way necessarily now, although we, we do talk about the idea of spiritual warfare. But all of that language is centered in the idea that God is greater and stronger. And there is no reality that is more powerful than the resurrection of Jesus. There is no darkness, fear, or anxiety greater than death itself. And God said... It does not have the word. It does not have the last word. Now you can say your amen, please. And the resurrection is this second installment. It is the greatest statement. But even when we go all the way back to the end of the story, what we see in that language is that the chaos and the darkness doesn't win. God's word is stronger than that chaos and that darkness and it organizes itself exactly the way God tells it to organize. We come to the resurrection, that greatest climax of his statement of I'm greater, but we can also look at the end of the story and we can recognize that when God says I'm going to make everything new, it means he's going to take all of the brokenness of the world, all of the things that we don't think that we can control, and he's going to conquer it through Jesus Christ. And you're right, I don't have a how for you. I can't work out all the details for you, but I know that that's the promise of Scripture. And we must recognize that greater and stronger nature of God. Number two, I encourage you to, to, 
to take away, to empty anxiety's power by resting in Jesus' promise that we're never alone. He said those words to the disciples just before he went to the cross. And I would think for about, you know, count on your watch whatever number of hours it was, there was a time where the disciples said, I don't know what he was talking about, but I feel awfully alone. It didn't seem that any of them were trying to count down three days. They were just afraid that he was gone. You and I have that sense of, I don't know how long this is going to go. And boy, I tell you what, you can find an article that will say anything you want it to say. If it says the, the beginning of April, or if it says the beginning of June, or if it says 18 months from now, somebody's going to say it's going to take this amount of time and we don't have any idea. And we kind of like the disciples think, wait a minute, where is Jesus' word in this? And yet, what we recognize is that through the Holy Spirit, everywhere we go, if you're alone, Nell Brown, not Nell Brown, yes, Nell Brown, alone in her room there at, at uh, Carriage Inn, and she thinks, oh, I just feel kind of alone. Now, maybe she gets out and there's some folks there to interact with, but they're even discouraging that now. But I know her well enough to know that she is aware of God's presence in her life. That the Holy Spirit has not abandoned her. That Jesus has not abandoned her. That God's presence is still with her. And we need to rest in that promise. The promise of the same one that said, I'll come back in three days. And he did. Who said, you'll never be alone. And we won't. Third, last point here is to be aware of how Satan, I'm going to use this word, customizes our fear, customizes fear and darkness for you to be and for you for you and to be prepared for that. Wow. I don't know about you, but but I've discovered that Satan sometimes knows me really well and knows exactly how to kind of catch me off guard and trip me up. And, and knows how to, how to make my breathing speed up a little bit. Or knows how to make things kind of seem so far out of control that, that I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I've lived long enough that I can start anticipating that. I've lived long enough that I can kind of start feeling it come along. And some of you may say, no, 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 Alan, I happen to know that when you get under stress, you get pretty short with people and... You've been short with me, and I'm not saying that I'm perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but, but we can really empty anxiety's power, which is a power that Satan wants to use. When we can begin the process of saying, you know what, these circumstances aren't just there out of the blue. Satan's want to use these things to pull me away from that, that awareness of God's greater and that promise of Jesus is near he wants to pull me out of that and so if I can be prepared for that and maybe it is that that we we even kind of say it out loud no Satan this one's not yours today say that with me no Satan try it one more time really nice and strong no Satan and we recognize that he's trying to bring that fear into us that anxiety into us he's trying to have his darkness kind of swell up inside of us and we say that's not going to happen when we can be aware of that and we can be prepared for that 
we're much more likely to empty anxiety's power. But you know what? It, it's like a vacuum, isn't it? You've, you've seen, and maybe if you haven't done this yet, this is one of those great fun things to do at home. Get you a two-liter bottle, fill it with water, and empty it out. Just hold it there and see how it kind of glugs and splatters and all that. But if you'll take that bottle and you'll spin it, you'll create a, a fulcrum, a, you create a, a whirlpool that lets a little bit of air in the top of that thing. And that bottle will empty almost instantly. By the way, don't go do that now. We're not quite done yet. But do that this week sometime. So you see, if we want to empty darkness's power, anxiety's power, fear's power, if we want to empty that, we're going to have to be filled up with something. And did you notice the way that Paul ended that statement? Rejoice always. Don't ever let anxiety overwhelm you. Don't be anxious in anything, but be thankful. And then he said, fill up with these good things. Maybe if you've got your Bible open, you want to just kind of put your finger on Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, all of you, and then this wonderful, wonderful list. Whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, if anything is excellent, say it out loud real big, Excellent. That's the stuff of God. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You tuned in this morning to do that. And I understand that some of you are having a little trouble uh, staying logged in. Know that it's recorded and you're going to be able to pull it up at any time. Fill yourself up with these good things. Is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Oh, is it lovely? The way Jesus is lovely. Is it admirable? Is it excellent or praiseworthy? Let's fill our minds with those things. And maybe, particularly, we need to have maybe a couple of scriptures handy. Maybe it's on a note on your phone that you can just pull it up instantaneously. And when you feel Satan kind of reaching for your fear... You say, no, you can't have it because I've got God's greater. I've got God's good. I've got God's with us promise. See, the power, one of the great powers of that greater idea is that the greater power of God isn't just something that's out there in heaven. It's, and in reality, it's not just something that's waiting for Christ's return to really come. Paul, in another letter in the book of Ephesians, says that the greater power that was exerted in the resurrection, this is in Ephesians 1, the greater power that was exerted in the resurrection is a power that is at work within you. We're about to take the Lord's Supper. Such a powerful way in which over centuries and over miles and all around the globe, Jesus says, I want to fill up my people. And you're right, the little piece of cracker is not enough to fill us. The little sip from the cup is not enough to fill us. But those are just the representations. Because the greater of God infuses me all the time. And that coming, that nearness, that with us, 
It's a very powerful reason that we celebrate this supper. I invite you to get your elements together. I invite you to get comfortable. Because we're about to have communion with God and communion with each other. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior, bearing shame and scoffing rude in my Condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, and helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much. Thank you for all the many things that you've done for us, but especially now as we come together to take of this bread, we thank you for your son's death on the cross and what it means to us that we'll have some time soon we'll be with you in heaven. And we pray that you'll be with us now as we take of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus is the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Father, again, we come to you in prayer, thanking you for your son, and we thank you for this cup that you've given to us to represent his blood that was shed on the, bride, on, on the cross that, that um, covers our sins. Pray that you'll be with us now as we take. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
I told you last week, and, and uh, I have been kind of trying to send the word out, and we have opened up a, a particular post on our Facebook page that is asking you to comment with your prayer request. We want to be praying for each other as all of this comes together. And if you were tuned in for the announcements on the front end or if you're watching them, uh, you know that we particularly are, are wanting to hold up in prayer right now Bernice Skinner, who had to have an additional surgery to address a situation, but she seems to be stabilizing from that as she continues to uh, recover from uh, liver and kidney uh, transplants. But also, just in the last few days, uh, Vicki Wunderlich has gotten some kind of effect infection and is having a difficult time with that, and she is being cared for, but uh, wasn't able to make her trip for treatment for her cancer to Dallas because of it, and we're asking you to lift them both up in prayer. But today I want to take just a moment to, to enumerate the people that, that we are aware of that work in the healthcare uh, industry in various ways uh, that are in reality kind of putting themselves on the front line of this in the same way that we pray for our soldiers when, when we have conflicts going on around the world. We pray for them because they're on the front line where there's danger going on. These are those people and I'm going to read their names and pause a little bit, and uh, we'll even publish these. We'll make those a comment on our prayer list, but I want to hold them up to you today. Ann Nesbitt uh, continues to have to make hospice visits all around the county and even larger area than that. A lot of precautions having to be taken. Lindley Glover works in uh, Country Village in Angleton, and again, you know that they're really doing a, a, a battle with keeping the infection out of the nursing homes. Kathy Warren, Mary Hancock, who continues to work at CHI, and also happen to know that she made an extra visit to try and help take care of Vicki this week. Christine Lee, who's up in the Temple area working that hospital. B.J. Guzman, who's down in the valley. Brian Peltier, who works at UTMB Angleton. My daughter-in-law, Catherine Ritchie, is continuing to help with the delivery of babies in Sugarland, And we happen to know that Roger Thompson is, is putting a little bit of medical work together and helping people out that call and ask. And we really appreciate the way all of these folks are doing that. We're going to say a quick prayer. I'm not going to repeat their names, but want to hold that up to God. As we begin the prayer, I'm going to take just a moment of silence, and I want you at home to take the time to hold up some names that you know, to say them out loud, to place them before God. And then I'll close it out. Father God, we thank you for hearing our prayer. Father, we lift these names up to you, those that have been spoken at home, those that have been in the hearts of all of us, those that we have mentioned uh, by name. We want to hold up uh, just that whole world of people that are investigating this virus and looking for, uh, if not cures, at least remedies to help lessen it. We pray for all those who are having to do the logistic decisions about supplies and rooms and things akin to that. We ask that you would come and fill them with a the sense that you're with them, 
We ask for you to work as only you can work to bring an end to this virus, to help us find a way to lessen its severity and to minimize its contagious nature. Father, we thank you for always hearing our prayers and we thank you for hearing this prayer. And it is in this name of Jesus that we all pray together and we all say, God's greater. God's greater than everything that Satan wants to pull us down with. The invitation for you today is to maybe reach out to a friend and say, maybe, maybe all you want to say is just, don't forget that God is greater. Don't forget that Jesus is near. But maybe, maybe you need an extra prayer. And again, we've enumerated, you're welcome to post a public prayer on Facebook. You're welcome to take that text that you got today that sent you to uh, our, our, our live stream and just reply to that and say, this, I need you to pray about this so that I can really be more filled with God's good and His light than the darkness and anxiety that I have right now. We're going to sing a song and, and maybe, maybe you just want to listen. Maybe you want to grab the people in your house and, and just kneel and to pray for God's greater to be stronger. We're singing a song called How Sweet, How Heavenly. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. My apologies. Got that wrong twice. And it is. It's sweet to trust in Jesus because he will not leave us alone. Wherever you are, I invite you to come. Mm -hmm.